You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. When we come to the Gospels in particular, who is the star? Who is the main character? Who is the one that we're looking towards? We're looking to Jesus, right? So even we have a tendency in this passage to look at the Samaritan woman and kind of dog on her, rag on her a little bit. Um, That's not the purpose of this passage. If anything, if we were going to dog on her a little bit, we're also going to be dogging on ourselves because the point of her seeing her sin is for us to see our sin as well. All right, so we want to keep that in mind. Now, I'm going to go with Tim's reading. We're going to move forward with that, and then I'll be picking up pieces of the text as we go. And here is our big idea for this morning. Jesus has planned to meet you this morning so that you can be brought into His people and live in His forgiveness. Jesus has planned to meet you this morning so that you can be brought into His people and live in His forgiveness. Imagine this with me. Tomorrow, invading forces come to Hermanus. All right? I'll let you decide who the invading forces are. Maybe it's a, uh, an opposing town. Maybe it's a whole other province. Uh, maybe it's another country or a political faction. You can decide who it is, all right? You can keep that in your imagination right now. Now, this invading force comes through and they decide that for a couple of years, they're going to take all of us, move us out to a different place. <sighs> We're going to go live somewhere else. We're going to be, maybe there'll be some forced labor. Uh, Maybe there'll be some re-education. But really what we're going to see is us just having to make do with life in a different kind of place. Now, of course, some people do escape the abduction. Good on them. Um, And I'm sure that uh, we could imagine them rummaging through all the empty homes that are left behind. The dogs, they would all be left behind, free, trying to figure out how to get into the pet shop. Um, And then lastly, baboons would be living their best life now. Would they not? I think that's true. Now, two years later, our attackers decide that we can move back home. And as we find our way back home... uh, We think about all the things we're going to have to fix. All the things that went into disrepair. We dread the state of our refrigerators. We dread the overgrown gardens, the crumbling concrete, and the ravishes of the wind and the rain and the waves. But as we each arrive home, we notice something. There are houses that have not changed at all. There are happy families in some of those houses. As you get closer to your home, you see that uh, there's a neighbor. You know, he's five, ten plots down the road. Um, He's got pieces of your fence on his property. They're driving your friend's car. They've been living well off the land as you have been removed from it. Okay, all right, that's enough of this. This This is a good illustration, I think. But it actually... It could be reality, so we're not going to go there. Um, 
The conflict that's playing out in that picture that I've painted for you this morning is exactly the kind of conflict that Jesus is entering into between Jews and Samaritans. They are a people that got left in the land while everyone else got exiled way back in the day. Uh, maybe they made a deal to stay in the land. I don't, I don't know the exact story. But long story short, they have some time separated from all of those people that were taken away into foreign lands, both into Assyria and into Babylon. And they start to develop a, kind of a culture of their own. In fact, they hearken back to the old traditions, the old ways. And they don't think about Jerusalem, the destroyed city, as their place of worship anymore. No, no, they've got a whole different mountain. It's, on that mountain is the well that Jacob dug, that God gave to Jacob on that mountain. They're going all the way back to the fathers. Not to what David set up for them in Jerusalem. That thing was always doomed, always ready to crash. Even so much so that uh, in the Samaritan scriptures, you'll have uh, little X's by the priests, and they say, not at, uh, in Jerusalem, but rather at this other mountain is where we worship. And so this is a situation that Jesus enters into, and this is the conversation that he enters into with this Samaritan woman. Needless to say, the Jews, when they got back into the land from exile, and they started to see the Samaritans kind of living off the land, thinking, what? how did you get to stay here? What kind of deal did you make with the enemy that you didn't get taken away, but I did? My parents died in, in a foreign land, my grandparents died in a foreign land, and here I am now. Right? So there's animosity, there's hatred, there's accusations of, of breeding with the enemy. And the Jews and the Samaritans are not friends. It would be easy for us to get confused about this, because what do we know about Samaritans? There was a good one, right? That one story that Jesus tells, there was a good one. No, that's what makes that story even more shocking. All right, so Jesus shows up at this well to get a drink. The disciples, they go off to get some water. It's in the middle of the day. It's in the heat of the day. Um, yeah, you don't want to be carrying the water jug in the middle of the day. You get the big idea. You've heard that before. Um, this woman is here not because she's choosing to be there in the middle of the day, but because she has some baggage. She's got a lot of baggage that she has to haul around with her, uh, and it slows her down enough to where she can't get there to the middle of the day. All right, let's dig into this a little bit. A woman from Samaria came to draw water as Jesus was sitting there. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink, because his disciples had gone away to get some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now you'll notice the disciples later on, they're going to say, is he talking to a woman? Okay. Now, it's not illegal to talk to a woman. Um, there would have been some, uh, some cultural taboo all right, about this, especially when you're uh, one of Jesus' disciples that was raised up as a good little Jewish boy and is taught to make a, a fence around a fence around a fence to make sure that you're not going to break any of God's law. So they're going to get offended by, by that. 
But this woman isn't surprised that Jesus is talking to her. She's very surprised, though, that he is a Jew and he is in foreign territory all of a sudden. And how is it that you, a Jew, is she offended? We don't actually know. Is she saying, what makes you think you can ask me for water? Or, why in the world would you ask me for water? I'm unclean to you. Either way. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Again, we could receive this as her being a little bit cheeky with him, or we could receive this as an honest question. Hold on. You want to give me living water. You don't even have anything to get down in the well with. What is it exactly that you're saying? I think that's the question that she's asking right now. She's not trying to say, oh, well, I'm not going to listen to a Jew talk about it. I don't think that's exactly what's happening here. I think she's genuinely saying, hold on, are you actually greater than our father Jacob? Is that what you think? Or what's the story? She's asking a genuine question. What is he leading her towards? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. But in that, too, she's doing something else very unique, and it's going to come out as, as she continues to speak. She's hearkening back to those old traditions right now. Last week, we skipped over the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the night. We heard about the Great Commission last week. But in that story, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night, and he is... Uh, why? Why? Well, he's an important person. He can't be seen uh, mixing with a guy like Jesus. But he does know that Jesus is a teacher. Nicodemus himself is a teacher. In fact, he's a Pharisee and a ruler. You know what I hear? I hear a person that's constantly teaching the law and then a person that is also asked to enforce the law. (laughs) He's a lawman. And he's heard good things about Jesus, and he comes to Jesus because he respects him. He comes to Jesus and he says, I think that you're a teacher from God. Uh, I.e., I bet you have some great insight about the law. I'd love to hear about that. And Jesus responds to him in very confusing ways. And so Nicodemus asks him questions. Jesus says, you must be born again. Hey, church, Do you born yourself? No. Answer, no. You don't born yourself. You get born, right? (laughs) This is how God does it to you and to me. He gets us born. He doesn't allow us to born ourselves somehow, okay? But Nicodemus is confused by this. Okay, so how in the law can I get born again? He's very confused by it. Because Nicodemus only has one way of understanding what it is that God does. And that way of understanding it is through the law. And that law goes like this. Uh, I break a law and then I make a sacrifice to make up for the law that I broke. And so he's only dealing with Jesus in one way. 
And he doesn't actually understand anything that Jesus is teaching to him. But either way, Nicodemus is talking about one thing in particular, and that is sacrifice. This is, this is how I sacrifice, so how can my sacrifice get me what you're saying, Jesus? Similarly, this woman of Samaria is dealing with a very same issue. Now, those Jews are definitely wrong about the way that they worship. But up here in Samaria, we do it right. We make the right sacrifices on the right mountain, and the Jews don't know a thing about it. So what's coming out here? For both people, they both hate each other, they both think the other one's wrong, and for both of them, it's all about the law. Nicodemus never could get past, wait a second, so what do I have to do? Whereas Jesus is saying to the Samaritan woman, you think of God as someone who is ready to hold you accountable to something, who's making demands of you all the time. I came here to gift you something. She comes with words of demand, and Jesus comes with words of gift, otherwise known as words of law and words of gospel, words of law and words of promise. Right? Jesus is coming to her with words of promise. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me that water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. She's hedging her bets. She's not really sure what Jesus is saying. Okay, water for everlasting life. I like that. But are we actually talking about water or are we talking about everlasting life? Whatever it is, you give me that and I'll take it. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband. This is a little bit of an interesting thing that most Bible translations do here. Um, it's just man. We could translate it better and more literally just man. Go and get your man, which helps us to clarify this passage a little bit too. Okay? So, go and call your man and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no man. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying that I have no man, for you have had five men. Five mans. <laughs> and one of and the one that you have now is not your husband. And we could say not you've not covenanted with him. Alright, so now our first inclination is to say, can you believe how sinful this woman is that Jesus is talking to right now? Uh, not the goal here. In fact, we shouldn't be surprised by this at all, right? Not because she's a Samaritan. Those dogs, Samaritan. No. Not because she's a Samaritan. Because what does it take as a woman to survive in this world and then in more particular this world right here? Well, it took financial security and it took physical security. And this woman is a survivor of sorts. In sin and a survivor. We know people like this. We also know people like this that go from relationship to relationship, and there's usually a reason why they're doing that, right? This woman's not just coming with sin. She's coming with a lifetime of sin that has been placed upon her by other people. She has been sinned against, and she has perpetrated sin her entire life. 
That's true of you and me too. And it's a hard thing to deal with in this text because um, I would love so easily, we, all, we would all love so easily just to accuse her of her sin and walk away. And yet the reality is that she's living in an extraordinarily broken world that she is working hard to survive in. And here's another interesting thing about her. She knows about God's promises. She even claims to be trusting in them to some extent. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So Jesus starts talking to her about sin, right? She knows that. She's faced with it. And she says, hey, look, if you're coming to me right now to say that i got to go down to Jerusalem to get rid of the sin, that's what all of you Jews say. We've got a problem now. It's easy to read this passage and just say, oh, she's trying to change the subject. Now, it's the same topic because she's thinking sacrifice again. You say, I've got to go down to Jerusalem and offer up sacrifices to get rid of my sin. Um, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me that the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and what is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay, I don't know if you're understanding all of that. I don't know if she's understanding all of that, but Jesus is making some really big claims right now. He's saying, you know that salvation? It's not going to come from Samaria. It's going to come from, from the Jews. Now she should be asking herself a question in this moment. Okay, fine. How am I going to get it? If it's from the Jews, how am I going to get it? And he says, no, no, no. There's a time that's coming. It's right now that you don't need to worry about going down there to get it or staying here and getting it. In spirit and in truth, God is spirit, he says. God the Holy Spirit is going to be working in, on, and through you. And He is going to be saving you. Worship is not going to be done by sacrifice. It's going to be done in the light of the truth. Jesus told Nicodemus what that light was. John tells us at the beginning of John what that light is. It is Jesus Himself. And so what does Jesus say to her? The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. Messiah, another word for Christ here, who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. <laughs> now you got to love this. He will tell us all things, right? It seems like Jesus has told her a lot already. There's a time coming, it's right now. You've had a lot of men in your life, right? But I think she needs to hear one more thing. If he's going to come and tell all things, I think that she needs to hear one more thing. And Jesus does just that. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
All right, now get this. Nicodemus asks what he thinks are theologically intriguing questions. And yet, he only views Jesus as yet another law teacher like himself. And to put just a little bit of salt in that wound, Jesus doesn't say to Nicodemus, for God so loved you that he gave you me. In fact, Nicodemus, who's very much in the law, very much about God's first people Israel, he says, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son. Nicodemus should be asking, wait a second, who's his only son? But he doesn't. He walks away sad. Okay. <laughs> Whereas, as Jesus is traveling through Jerusalem, as he's traveling through Judea, going up to Samaria, he's not, he's not, no one is coming to him and asking him the right questions. He sits down with this woman, a Samaritan, a non-Jew, and says, I'm your man. That man that you've been looking for, I'm he. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one, <laughs> but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Uh, it's a funny way of wording that there. Uh, we could hear it like this. Uh, is it really true? Do you think it's really possible? that the Messiah not only is here, but he's here with us, Samaritans? Also, yeah, you should notice there that she left her water jug. Why was she there in the middle of the day? To get water. What did Jesus promise her? Living water that would lead her into eternal life. And she's satisfied walking away from Christ because he knows her. At the beginning, we skipped a couple of verses, but yes, Jesus did intentionally go through Samaria when he could have chosen otherwise. He planned to meet her, meet her there that day. He planned to bring her closer in, to bring her into his people, and to give her the forgiveness that she needed. And that's exactly what she did, and that's exa what, exactly what he did, and that's exactly why she goes back and talk, talks to her fellow Samaritans. So the woman left her water jug and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Is it really him? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. <laughs> so, so the disciples said to one another, I'm confused. Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Don't say, Jesus, you shouldn't talk to that woman. Jesus, you shouldn't talk to the Samaritans. See that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Jesus says that one, she's one of us now. So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. <laughs> He's saying to the, the, the disciples, before you get all worked up about it, you should be rejoicing with me and prepare yourself because all of Samaria is coming out to us right now. 
For here, the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Paul tells us that too. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Isn't that a funny thing? He, all he did was talk about her sexual history. <laughs> and yet, her life has been encapsulated in that. And she's able to now go into town. Hey guys, you know the, the fact that I've been going to the well at noon every day. You guys see me out there. And yes, I've been avoiding you because of my past. But you know my past. I know my past. I've been forgiven for it. There it is. He told me, and he told me all of it. They said to the woman, Oh, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you've said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. That is, we don't just have to take your word for it anymore. We too have heard that promise in our ears. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. There's not a whole lot more I can say about the passage other than just reading through it like that. It's a beautiful passage. It's a beautiful passage about Jesus going out to the least, the lost, and the last and sharing that good news. So is it a passage about evangelism? I don't know. Is it? <laughs> yes and no, right? Uh, you've heard the questions. If you've ever tried to share the gospel with someone, you've heard the questions that the Samaritan woman's asking. And you can hear it as self-defense, but the reality is we're all in self-defense mode all the time because we're all worshiping usually one thing, that's ourselves. And we're all looking at what in this world we have to sacrifice to make it more about ourselves and to make ourselves more comfortable with ourselves and to get myself more of what myself needs. This is exactly the position that she was in before Jesus came and met her, before he planned to be with her and to make her a part of his people and to forgive her of her sins. And so you've probably heard these self-defense questions before. You've probably asked a lot of them yourself. And that's why when we read God's Word and when we hear the good news that Jesus has come into the world to save us from our sin, it's never just something that's in the past. When we hear words of gospel, that is not just talking about the gospel, not just talking about the good news. When we hear words of gospel, there's a couple of things that are true. Those words are always present tense. That is right now for you and for me. Uh, there are no strings attached and without exception. Okay, That word comes to you with no strings attached and without exception. Jesus didn't sit down and say, you got to make a couple more sacrifices for all those husbands you had. Uh, he offers it to her right then, right there, even in the midst of a sinful life. He shows her her sin and she believes. She turns away from her life and turns to look at Christ. 
So the gospel is always present tense. It's always with no strings attached. And when you hear it, it's always for you. How does God choose people in this world? He does it through the proclamation of His Word about Jesus. And this morning, right here, right now, with no strings attached, He's doing that for you. Jesus has planned to meet you and in fact has met you here this morning so that you can be brought into His people and live in His forgiveness. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.